When you need your work truck to work as hard as you do, trust Delphi Technologies to deliver the parts built for the toughest work environments. From construction sites to long distance hauling, go with the aftermarket supplier known for its 100 plus years of OE heritage and expertise. Go to DelphiAftermarket.com today. This special episode was recorded during a live virtual conference session as part of the Great Canadian Aftermarket Trade Show virtual event being held May and June 2021. Hello everyone, it's Andrew Ross from Chat Integrated Media. Welcome to the Great Canadian Aftermarket Trade Show virtual event uh, live session. I'll give those of you who are already here a little rundown on this. This is on a Zoom platform. Maybe you're familiar with that already. We have a Q&A uh, utility. Uh, we also have the ability to pose questions through that, through, through the chat. So without further ado, today's topic for kicking off our event is uh, the financial markets and the aftermarket. Now, while most of us spend our days really working hard on the kind of minutiae of getting uh, parts sold, installed, uh, repairs made, and running our businesses, the financial markets and the economy at large is the uh, manifestation of all those cumulative efforts. Today, I'm very pleased to have Carl Berger of Sidale Asset Management uh, to talk about the context of what's going on uh, in the economy, in the financial markets, and uh, in the automotive space. Welcome, Carl. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Now, uh, obviously, we've had uh, an unprecedented uh, <laughs> swings in the economy, swings in the financial markets over the last year and a bit. Um, what's going on? <laughs> well, that's a broad question to uh, to, to to start with. Um, lots of different ways I could could approach that. I think um, most most of the people on the the call, many of the people that are listening, would would certainly have had an experience, their own experience, over the course of the last year since March of, of 2020. Obviously, a fairly significantly uncertain period in the financial markets and the automotive industry and the aftermarkets segment. And and there's lots of parallels, obviously, between all three, based on the uncertainty of the tra trajectory of the pandemic, certainly through the first sort of five or six months of the crisis last year. And then ever since um, November, I would say, and the, the, uh, the, you know, the arrival on the scene of the vaccines and, and this hope that the pandemic will actually end in a, in a foreseeable sort of period of time, there, there's been an awful lot of, of economic activity. There's been an awful lot of focus on uh, reopening of the economy. Uh, and I guess I should actually go just back a little further than that and talk about the the underpinnings of that economic recovery, uh, and that being the the totally unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus and support that we've seen from central banks and governments all over the world. And it's probably not surprising that the actual low in the equity markets on March 23rd of 2020 corresponded uh, the day previous with the announcement of a very, very significant stimulus package in the US. And so since then, we've had a number of um, similar packages announced all over the world, all over the developed world, I should say. Um, and and this, this unprecedented government and central bank activity has gone a long way to certainly not ensuring an equitable outcome for everybody, but, but trying to ensure that the economy can continue to function as we come out of the pandemic and reopening occurs. 
So it's been a completely unprecedented time um, from a financial standpoint, from an economic standpoint. Everything obviously is, is tied together in that regard to a degree. But you know, we, we find ourselves in May of 2021. I think most people would be extremely shocked and surprised at where equity markets are and financial markets are uh, overall, especially if you were to, to, to talk in March of 2020 and say, well, will we be where we are now a year from now? Uh, almost 100% of the people would have said not a chance. Uh, there's no way that we will be in the position that we seem to be now. And that doesn't for a second say that everybody has been dragged along. There's still been a, been a huge dislocation in the economy that isn't necessarily reflected in financial markets. Um, and and maybe that's a good place to probe further. I, I'm not sure where you'd like to take the conversation. Sure. Well, I, you know, one of the indicators that I've noticed and which is kind of foundational for how well, I guess, the economy does and, and by extension, the aftermarket is the, the really significant dips and rebounds in employment numbers. So that is, has come back quite a bit and, you know, sort of knock on effect to that or, or related to that or, or some of the things that seem to be a very different approach for, again, not just in Canada, but for governments and how they view, you know, the stimulus and the, the growth and what the right things to do are. Uh, you know, there, there are certainly those out there who are warning against, you know, the, the dangers of inflation. But uh, and you and I talked a little bit before that there seems to be a bit of a different approach now that uh, without getting too much into the weeds about it, that might be at the root of how the governments are approaching this crisis as opposed to previous crises of an economic nature. Okay, so so let's go back to just just before the pandemic, end of 2019, January, February of 2020, and the, the global economy and the U.S. in particular had got itself to a position where unemployment was far, far lower than anybody would have believed possible and sustainable. And, and so unemployment in the States has typically run around five or five and a half percent as the lower end from a structural standpoint. There's a certain number of people that are simply not going to be employed at any given time because of their personal circumstances, because of a number of different things. The U.S. breached that five or five and a half percent bound at the end of 2019 and was down to about three and a half or four percent unemployment. And so obviously since then, there's been a couple of different things happen. The economy, great swaths of the economy were shut down. The government support that I talked about came in. And what the government support was basically intended to do was to ensure that as many businesses as possible don't go out of business as as can possibly be constructed so that those jobs are there to come back to when the lockdowns and the, the forced closures that were either necessary or not necessary, depending on your orientation, to fight the pandemic. You know, governments didn't want those jobs to disappear permanently. A restaurant goes out of business, somebody may come in and take it up and, and start over, but there's a huge disruption to the employment, to the revenue stream of that building to the, the knock-on effects of the economy. So the, so the intention has been through all of the stimulus to try to keep employment losses temporary. We're at a point right now where we're still, there's still a significant uh, number of people unemployed in the developed world compared to what we were at in, in January or February of last year. But what's shifted, and it's not just because of the pandemic, we think that there was that shift happening before the pandemic, it looks like governments and central bankers globally 
are starting to try to target employment and to get as many people as they possibly can be employed without creating significant inflation. And it's, it's a huge, huge shift in terms of the way, if, if it's actually real and if it's sustainable, it's a huge shift in the way that governments appear to be thinking about monetary and fiscal policy. Um, you know, most, most people on the, the call will understand that Canada ran almost $400 billion deficit uh, for fiscal 2021. Numbers that are just completely unheard of in, in my lifetime and in, in any of our lifetimes. Um, we're gonna run another $150 billion deficit this year. And that's partially because economic activity isn't going to pick up to where it was prior to the, to the, uh, the pandemic, but it's also because there are still significant supports for the economy and significant stimulus that's being built in over the next five and 10 year plans to ensure that we get back to a level of economic activity and employment that we were at prior to the pandemic. Um, in order to facilitate that, central bank authorities seem to be willing to tolerate a fair amount of inflation relative to what we've been used to over the last uh, number of years. It's sort of run around one and a half to two percent, and those are inf official inflation statistics. They're not what everybody experiences in, in, in their day-to-day -day lives, unfortunately, and we can talk a little bit about that if you really want to get into the weeds of how, how the CPI is created and tracked. But, but for the, for the purposes of understanding the financial sphere at this point, inflation isn't at a level that's problematic and that probably won't ring true for a number of people on the call who may be running into supply issues with semiconductors and things like that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of inflation in different parts of the economy at this stage. But if the target really has shifted to getting as many people as we possibly can back to work, tolerating slightly higher inflation than we've had in order to do that, of course, we run the risk that, that that inflation becomes endemic or rampant and that we get more inflation than we really want. That's a massive sort of policy risk of the new approach. But it's fascinating for us as money managers because if that approach sticks, then it essentially means that the governments, governments and central bankers globally are going to run the economy hot for a long time at, at full capacity or maybe even trying to target above it in order to get people back to work that could have some consequences down the road but it should be extremely good for risk assets and it should be extremely good for overall economic activity doesn't mean that everybody's going to benefit from it and that this is again where there'll be massive problems from a policy standpoint right certainly um, again but, but you know, it's, but we, it's we don't want to shift into you know economic if it's actually real and sustainable education and we could certainly go on but i want to just shift gears a little bit and, and in the context of these things uh, we uh, want to talk obviously about the automotive space and the aftermarket i think there's a little housekeeping you need to do just to keep let people know kind of where sidel and you are at as far as the automotive space in the aftermarket and then uh Give us uh, your thoughts on uh, what you see going on uh, in the, the space uh, and, and uh, uh, what your observations might be there. Sure, so, so maybe I'll just set the stage by saying that Seidel is a money manager. We, we manage portfolios for individual clients, uh, for institutions and for high net worth families and family offices. So we cover the whole sort of gamut in terms of management, we've got a number of different approaches that we use depending on whether for an institution, 
we want to be a little bit benchmark aware and we don't want our portfolios and our results to stray too far from what the, the TSX, for example, does. Uh, we don't employ that same sort of methodology in our private client approaches, so we've got a little bit more flexibility. Um, but to answer your question specifically, in terms of the automotive industry at this point, we have almost no direct exposure across any of our mandates. Uh, we, we Up until January, I think, or maybe mid-February, we had some exposure to Magna in our core portfolio that we use for institutions that's a little bit more benchmark aware. And you know we, we don't want to have no exposure in that sort of approach, but uh, we actually did sell out of Magna at, at, at uh, some point in the last few months, just based on valuations. Um, so we don't have much exposure at this point, and that's primarily, well, there's a number of factors behind that. Um, we obviously view the automotive and the aftermarket sector as fairly cyclical. And, and I'll make some broad general comments. I don't want these to be construed as a criticism of any uh, individual company or part of the sector or whatever. There's, there's uh, different parameters that Seidel has and that we look at when we manage portfolios and all of the context, uh, all of the comments that I'll be making will be within the context of, of that. Um, but we typically view the automotive sector and the after, aftermarkets part sector as being highly cyclical. Uh, right now, we see it as being very um, fully valued, fairly, fairly optimistic in terms of the, the, uh, the earnings guidance that we're seeing out of companies individually and investors are willing to pay very, very high multiples for that earnings guidance. So when you have a cyclical industry, uh, guidance is robust and valuations are robust. You've essentially got a scenario where things have to go really, really well or things have to go really, really right over the next six to 12 months to create a significant amount of value. And I'd say that we're finding opportunities in other sectors where things either aren't as robust from a guidance standpoint or aren't as fully valued. So the opportunity set is a little bit better. That doesn't mean for a second that Magna can't continue to go up or that any individual company in the automotive sector can't continue to do very, very well. Um, and, and I mean, if you look at first quarter earnings results from uh, almost anybody, the, the results are, are generally very, very strong, especially when compared to the first quarter of last year. Uh, forward guidance is typically pretty good. Um, seeing lots of dividend increases, some stock buybacks, which generally speaks to the, the fact that free cash flow uh, generation is high. Um, so we don't have a whole lot of exposure to the sector at this point, not to say that we never would, um, but at this sure, stage, it sure. But from looking from at a, it, and sort of the same uh, kind of parameters that, as as that you brought up as making it not a lot of kind of delta between what you could get it for and what you might be able to earn out of it. It does speak to a certain stability that for those of us who work in the uh, automotive space and in the aftermarket uh, should take some encouragement from, no? Oh, I think so. I, I mean, you, you'd know that from, from how robust your, you know, your, your order backlogs are and how things are evolving in your business. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic over the next six to 12 months in, in a lot of different sectors of the economy as we come out of this pandemic. I mean, consumers, Canadian and US in particular, but even in Europe and, and other parts of the developed world, consumer balance sheets are in great shape right now. Um, I mean, anybody that has been employed over the last 12 months hasn't been spending anywhere near as much money as they would have otherwise. Um, 
maybe that's brought some spending in the automotive sector uh, forward a little bit and and you know you're getting some of what might have been spent over the next couple of years having been spent while people were kind of locked down and not going anywhere but but in general consumer balance sheets are in great shape which which means that they should have money to spend for the next little while our sense is that you know the economy isn't going to open up rapidly not it's not like everybody will be traveling again in 2021. So there's no reason to think that the dynamics that existed through the latter part of 2020 might not still exist through 2021 for most consumers. So yeah, I think I, I think most of the folks in your sector and especially on the retail side of it are probably feeling pretty good. I, I would say from a portfolio construction standpoint, if, if you, know, you or your audience has investments, they probably shouldn't be invested in automotive companies and in the in the automotive space or sector simply because your employment and your employment income depends on the health and the vitality of the automotive sector having investments there sort of compounds that and people often feel like they know that sector they're comfortable with it so of course you're you know you're going to go and invest in in what you're seeing and that's certainly fine with a with a portion of client, of your of your portfolios but from a portfolio construction standpoint, you probably right, don't want right. to be. Well, that's just good general advice, right? Diversifying right? in a single sector, no matter how good it looks or feels. You know. Yes, yeah, and that, that's a tenant that we live by. Certainly, when we're creating and constructing portfolios, no matter how good something looks, whether it's a company, an industry, a geography, or you know any sector, you you don't want to have too much exposure to it, partially because you could be wrong. Uh, and it might not be quite as rosy, but also because there's opportunities in other sectors that you know, just because you don't know about them, just because you don't understand them. Sure, sure. Uh, now, mean uh, one of the other aspects what, of what you, you know, might be the aftermarket obviously relies with. on the continued production of auto of vehicles, of new vehicles. They may not come into the traditional uh, aftermarket for a few years once they're off the original equipment uh, service segment. But there's a lot of change going on there now too uh, with EVs and, uh, but the, you know, internal combustion engine uh, technology still with us. There's hybrids, plugins, a lot of uh, real push. I mean, I, I think that you know, most of the advertising I see from the automakers these days is is for uh, you know certainly the the kind of corporate uh, brand uh, image is is all about EVs, um, but there's still a pretty small portion of the, the overall sales mix. Um, what do you see uh, that maybe catches your eye about uh, that evolution? Well, the biggest thing that catches my eye about that evolution is Tesla and the valuations that people are willing to pay for it, um, based partially but not wholly on their on their dominance in that space or their current dominance. Uh, it, it's a fascinating uh, study overall in terms of of what people are willing to pay for future earnings, and really that's all uh, investing in stocks or equities is is buying a share of future cash flows. So there's the, there's the short-term game about whether a price is going to go up because there's going to be more buyers than sellers, but ultimately success in the equity markets is going to be determined by the cash flow that any investment creates. Um, so Tesla is, is the absolute poster child for a, a fantastic and fascinating story and also something uh, of a perplexing situation from an investment perspective, simply because how much people are willing to pay 
for that future earnings set. But I mean, the whole uh, internal combustion to electric vehicle transition is fascinating and is going to make the space very robust in many ways, I think, for, for the next number of years. Um, our, our sense is that it's probably not going to contribute to a significant increase in the number of vehicles sold overall. So it'll likely create a replacement from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. Is it going to move production in the US or consumption in the US from 17 million units a year to 20 million units a year? Probably not. Uh, at some point, it probably brings forward some of the, the consumption for 2022, 2023, 2024 to now if, if you know, people find that there's something that they really want to um, move to sooner rather than later. Other side of the coin is, is we could imagine it putting off future purchases because of the, the excitement over you know, what, what the options will look like two or three years from now versus what they look like now. So there's two sides to, to that coin, obviously. Um, but it, but it, it absolutely adds to the interest in the space. It absolutely adds to the potential vitality of the space. It creates a bit of a challenge, and it's one of the reasons that at Seidel we're not, we're not invested in the auto sector at this point, because that shift also implies some uncertainty. It creates a lack of visibility uh, you know, in terms of how future earnings are going to play out in terms of what margin compression may, may look like. Um, obviously, any of the traditional automakers have to uh, put out huge amounts of money, and, and there's a there's a big capital spend that's in that's involved with shifting uh, to electronic electric vehicle production. So, you know that represents a source of uncertainty um, from a standpoint of how Seidel looks at companies and values companies. We don't like uncertainty. We like being able to model what future cash flows are going to look like, being able to discount that back to a current day price. And saying, all right, well, that that flow of that cash flow that we can reasonably expect to be there under any circumstance is worth this today. The stock price is less than that, so we're interested in that situation. When you have uncertainty around either margins or capital spend, um, or 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 you know what revenues are going to look like, it makes that process a lot more difficult. So um, that that transition is super exciting in terms of of how robust the space is likely to be. It's also a source of uncertainty for us in terms of how, what that modeling looks like um, and, and just makes, makes investing in the space a little bit more tricky. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned for more from this and other live conference sessions recorded during the Great Canadian Aftermarket Trade Show virtual event held May and June 2021. Listening to the Great Canadian Aftermarket Podcast, brought to you by the publishers of Indie Garage and Jobber Nation. Connect with us online at indiegarage.ca and jobbernation.ca, a brand of Chat Integrated Media. Pothole damage to a vehicle's chassis is always a concern, no matter the size or time of year. If the worst does happen, you can count on Delphi Technologies steering and suspension parts to get your customers back on the road again. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com.